0: In 1977, at the height of the Cold War, Anatoly Sharansky, a brilliant young mathematician and chess player, was arrested by the KGB. He spent 13 years inside a Soviet gulag. From morning to evening, Sharansky read and studied all 150 of the Psalms. He said of the Psalms, what does this give me? Gradually, my feeling of great loss and sorrow changes to one of bright hopes. Sharansky so cherished his book of Psalms, in fact, that when guards took it away from him, he formed his own protest and laid in the snow, refusing to move until they returned it. During those 13 years, his wife traveled the world campaigning for his release she told one university audience in a lonely cell in Chistopol prison, locked alone with the Psalms of David, Anatoly found expression for his innermost feelings in the outpourings of the King of Israel thousands of years ago. You aren't in the misery of a Soviet gulag, but when your heart feels the despair, of life's circumstances, these circumstances that seemingly work in concert together to dismay you, where do you turn? What I want to show you from God's word this morning from Psalm 91 is that you can trust God even when everything in your life says you will be destroyed. Let me say that again. You can trust God even when everything in your life says that you will be destroyed. Follow along as I read Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night Underfoot, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Three stages, three steps through which we sail through this passage, seeing that we can trust the Lord no matter what destruction we feel waits before us. The first is simply a testimony from the psalmist that you can trust God in verses 1 and 2. This psalm begins with its author essentially saying, Let me tell you that I have found God to be able to carry the weight of all of my burdens. This is in verses 1 and 2. He says, I want you to know that whatever burden grips your heart, you can trust God to faithfully care for you as well. He's saying this has worked for me and I believe that he will prove himself faithful to you. Look how the psalm begins in verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Do you catch that word dwells? It's not visits, it's not checks in, but he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. You know, it's kind of woven into our DNA as human beings to naturally kind of want to keep God at arm's distance. To, to accept, to welcome the things that He can give us that, that, that we desire, while also keeping Him at arm's distance in the ways that make us perhaps uncomfortable in what it means to be too close to Him. But part of the sheer wonder of Christianity is that in His grace, God throws wide open the doors of His throne room, and He invites us to do what? Not to come visit, but to come and dwell near to Him. And we do not have to fear coming near to Him and dwelling. Psalm 91 reveals to us that the heart of God beats in unflinching love towards those who belong to Him. You might think of visiting God or dwelling near to Him as if you're visiting or dwelling in the home of like a a grandparent that you would visit as a child where kind of some stuff smells a little funny, don't have many... channels on the tv visits are kind of a drag no the psalmist says dwelling in the presence of god is where our hearts find everlasting peace apologies to grandparents in the room how often this week did you worry about your spouse or your child or your grandchild How often this week did you feel the sharp edges of a disagreement in the workplace or at home? How often did a news event that passed across the TV screen briefly rattle your cage about the state of our country or give you some fresh worry about our world or encroaching dangers of climate change, whatever it is that might grip your heart in fear? The psalmist says, where do you turn with these things that grab hold of you in fear. It's early June, but yesterday, Mount Washington got snow. This is not uncommon for Mount Washington. It's home of some of the wildest recorded weather on earth, including at the time, for like 61 years, it had the highest recorded wind gusts the world had ever seen, 231, were recorded, 231 miles per hour on April 12th, 1931. Just this past winter, during the brutal cold snap that we experienced in early February, Mount Washington recorded the lowest wind chill ever recorded in America at a brisk negative 108.4 degrees. Yet, if you were to visit Mount Washington, what would you find at the top? You would find a weather observatory with beds, with living quarters a warm kitchen, fresh coffee, you would find a place that is a refuge from the storm. Scientists and workers live there in perfect safety year-round. You might feel as if you were at the top of a Mount Washington with the winds of this life just cutting you in half. And what the psalmist holds up for us is that the God who has revealed Himself before us in His Word, He invites us out of the cold and to be warmed in the fire of His presence. The psalmist tells us God is our refuge. Look at the four ways in verses 1 and 2 that the psalmist describes God. Most high, almighty, refuge, fortress, These descriptions of God serve to remind you and me that our safety is not grounded in our circumstances. Our safety is grounded in our God. For the Christian, our hope is found not in whether the ball is bouncing in our favor, not in whether life is running smoothly, but in the love of God that has been freely bestowed on us due to no merit of our own. He does not promise to remove us from the storm but he promises to be our refuge in the middle of the storm you see the miracle of what jesus has done for us on his cross atoning for our sins welcoming us into relationship with god once again not where we are peasants begging for mercy from a tyrant but where we are children joyfully devo- delighting in the love of our father who delights in us in this state of grace, we do not call upon God as if he is, we are putting Him in a bind with a never-ending list of things that He must do. We are not being placed in a never-ending waiting list where hopefully a technician gets out to our heart to minister to our needs sometime between the hours of 8 and 12, 500 months from now. No. No. Our God, who placed the galaxies in the sky and who rules over them, delights in bending His ear to hear your cry. And by His grace applied to our hearts, it beats, it beats, it beats and pulses through our veins helping us to see our Savior crucified, resurrected, and reigning. And as we look at Him, just beats of the love of God pulse through our veins. It enables us, even in those circumstances, to do what? To hope in God. These first two verses feature the psalmist saying, You can trust God. I know it. I've experienced His unwavering faithfulness. And in God's kindness, the psalmist does not stop there. He also supplies us with gracious reminders of how we can know we can trust God. So he says, first, you can trust God. Second, he says, I want you to know how you can know you can trust God. This is in verses 3 to 13. He metaphorically describes the feeling of danger that can seem to press in on us on all sides. He lists out pestilence or plague, terrors of darkness of the night, arrows racing by your head. And in all of these threats, as you might feel as if you walk the tightrope of life with heavy winds threatening to blow you into the crashing waters below, he says it it is the God himself who upholds you. The psalmist has a way of like piercing right to the joint and marrow of our hearts. Because he actually alludes to something in verses 7 and 8 that is a greater pain that we would feel. So he recognizes probably the greatest pain you might feel might not be physical pain, but it might be the wicked who stare you down with anger that beats in their hearts. And that anger coloring every pointed word that is directed at you. He says in verse 7, you you may have a thousand that fall at one side. You may have 10,000 that fall at your right side, but it will not come near to you. You will not be destroyed. One of the great privileges and honors and responsibilities that I carry as a pastor every single Sunday I chat with a number of you down in the lobby after the service is over. We talk about good things. We talk about exciting things. We talk about things that have you joyful. Yet also, inevitably and understandably, I hear of burdens that weigh down your hearts. I hear pain that you are trying to navigate, whether in your own life or, or, or helping a loved one navigate through deep and dark pain. I hear stories of families turned upside down, rejection by those who, are, who, 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 who disagree with you and the faith, ridicule from non-Christian loved ones. Some of you deal with the ever-present difficulties, yes, of, 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 of a body that is wasting away. And yet, as the psalmist seeks to serve for the encouragement of our hearts, he lists all sorts of these challenges. And then it's as if the psalmist recognizes, having listed the challenges in verses three through eight threats on the outside, betrayal on the inside, uncertainty about what the future holds, feelings of of, of despair as to whether or not you can navigate whatever it is that dark future holds. And the psalmist kind of brings all of these together. And then as that cold darkness crowds in around you, he brings the warm blanket of verses 9 and 10. Just listen to this. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. He's saying, verse 9, because you have done this, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. That sounds spectacularly wonderful. Who does not want that promise? Let me just read it again. Let's sit in the heights, sit in the glories of verses 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil. Notice that. It doesn't say little that gets through. We're going to do our best. No, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Hear that and just sit and breathe. But yet, as we take a couple of breaths there, We must look out from these glories of God. And I don't know if it's honesty. I don't know if it's cynicism that's just part of my DNA. I would say I'm a realist, not a cynic, but to each their own. But something within me, and I think something within most of our hearts, we read verses 9 and 10 and we say, yeah, but I feel like some evil has gotten to me. So what are you going to do with that, Stephen? What are you going to do with that God? You're the one who says this in your word. We must understand how we navigate our circumstances in light of God's word, sanctifying us. Sanctification is the theological word that simply describes the ongoing work of God in our lives, where he works all things for our good, in seeing and treasuring His glory and goodness over us. It's this process where, in spite of whatever circumstances we're dealing with in life, we, we grow more and more and more confident in our ability to trust Him, to grab hold of Him, and to not let go. So, as illness ravages your body, your heart is strengthened in the Lord's faithfulness and promise of resurrection hope, resurrected hope. As you endure scorn or rejection, hurt for walking in obedience to the Lord, your soul is comforted that God is using these to satisfy you with what? His unending love. As you face despair or depression that makes the hope of joy and peace seem not like the sun that you sit under on a beautiful, warm, sunny day, but more like a flickering, dark, darkened light that seems too far away to give you any warmth. As despair or depression makes you feel that way, the sanctifying grace of God is evident in his drawing near to you, sweetly comforting you in the hope that he is working in you and that he himself will dry your tears. I invite you to ponder Charles Spurgeon, the famous British preacher, About 150 years ago, his comments on verses 9 and 10, he said, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved, or I'll say the man or woman, who is beloved of the Lord. Ill to him or her is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him or her. Sickness is his or her medicine. Reproach is his or her honor. Death, even, is his or her gain. Church family, brothers and sisters, do you realize the profound responsibility that we share in encouraging one another with truths as weighty as this? We do not hear the worries and the griefs of our fellow church members, our fellow pilgrims along this journey to our celestial home, to our eternal reward. We do not hear their agonies, their griefs, their sorrows, and dismissively say, there, there, get over it. It's not that bad. No, we have the God-entrusted, grace-giving responsibility to bear with one another. As we carefully, humbly, patiently listen to one another. As we lift these burdens in prayer. As we, as we gently encourage each other that God is wisely using these circumstances to blur our sight of the things of this world and to make Jesus and his glorious sufficiency for us all the more real, all the more clear, all the more vivid before our face and and uh, grappling hold of our heart, grasping hold of our heart, whatever verb we would put there. If you're feeling... Kind of feeling out what Christianity is all about. Not quite sure whether you're what to make of it. You would say, okay, yeah, I'm kind of that person who talked about at the beginning who maybe I keep Jesus and keep Christianity at arm's distance. I'm pretty certain I am not a mind reader. I'm not able to predict the future. But I'm pretty certain that what you have come to see, regardless of your feelings on Christianity, is that there is a lot in life that is thrown at you. And it seems like sometimes you just can't get it to stop. May I share with you the sure hope that God is able to bind you up and carry you through those hardships? Would you give consideration to the prospect that your desperate yearning for a refuge in the storm, whatever shape that takes, Maybe you seek it in acceptance or love in the eyes of others. Maybe you seek it in pursuing as as positive or as as great of health as you can muster or or accomplishment of expectations that either you carry, that you've placed upon yourself or the others have placed upon you. Whatever form it might take, you seek a refuge from the storm of life in some form or fashion. And may I submit before you, that the shelters that you have previously sought, either you can testify yourselves that they have collapsed in those heavy gusts of that hurricane force winds, or they will collapse. And may I invite you today to come to the refuge and fortress that Psalm 91 holds up for you. And that refuge, that fortress, he has a name it's Jesus. Jesus Christ. In fact, getting back to our text, this is really, really interesting. If you were to look at verse 11, talking about how his angels will bear you up, you might see language and you might think to yourself, hey, something about that sounds familiar. Where have I seen that language in the Bible before? Did you know that verse 11 is actually what Satan quoted to Jesus when he tempted Jesus to throw himself off the top of the temple early on in the gospels of Matthew and Luke? He was telling Jesus to disobey God's plan for his life, but what Jesus said to him, he said, no, I'm not going to put God to the test, right? Jesus responded, I'm not going to put God to the test. He knew Satan was entirely misunderstanding, misapplying this passage. Jesus knew the plan and work of God in his life would not be through dramatic, miraculous rescue, but actually through a humiliating, horrific death. And so let's ask ourselves, okay, God promises to send His angels to bear us up. Do you remember where in Jesus' life God sent angels to bear Jesus up? It was right before He was betrayed and arrested. As He's sweating drops of blood at the prospect of the cross that lay before Him. Praying, Father, if there's another way, let it be so, but nevertheless not my will, but Yours as Jesus was going to the cross where he would accomplish our redemption. It is there that God made sure that he had all of the strength that he needed to get him through that moment. And if God bore up his son who was crucified in our place, will he not guard and keep us. He has not shed his son's blood to forsake you now. We must see the course of Jesus' life from the top of the temple to the agony of the cross in order that by looking upon his suffering, we might have hope in our suffering. The wonder of the gospel is that Jesus was destroyed in, order, in, in, in one sense, in order that we who fear that this next thing that rounds the corner, approaching, threatening me, it will destroy me. And God says, no, my son was destroyed, and you may know that you will never be destroyed. He was victorious over sin, over death, over betrayal, over heartbreak, over despair. He was victorious over these that we may by faith cling to him. And the psalmist tells us, I want you to know that you can cling to God. Perhaps you don't even know what that means, cling to God. like, like, like you. Okay, what, what does it mean to come to know God more? What does it mean to, 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 to enter into His presence? It, it means to come to Him by faith, to recognize I don't have the answers in myself to recognize that I'm tired of trying to build these shelters in the storm of my own hearts concocting and to recognize that these are actually sinful rebellion and disobedience against God. And and if I will acknowledge that, if I will confess that before him and, and look to Christ who has atoned for my sins, then I can come to him and live and find life everlasting. And there's something interesting. If you would like to know more about that after our service, I would love to speak with you down in the lobby. Feel free to grab me or shoot me an email. My email's on our bulletin. But anyway, as we walk through this passage, moving on to the third point, we've seen the exhortation to trust the Lord from the psalmist, and we've seen him give reason why we can trust the Lord. Ultimately pointing us towards the cross and pointing us towards God's work for us in Christ. Now, there's just a little more for us to hear, but you might say, okay, what else could the psalmist tell us? You'd be right. He's covered all his bases. But then another speaker comes in. A new speaker comes, and it is God Himself who tells you that you can trust Him. Remember, I'm holding before you this promise that I believe this passage gives us that you can trust God when everything in your life tells you you will be destroyed. And here, look at verse 14. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. You have a new speaker that arrives. It is none other but God Himself you have ever been on hold with customer service, whether with a cable company, whether with airline, cell phone company, and you speak with somebody who's kind of on the introductory level, and it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly, they're not going to be able to answer the questions I have. They're not going to be able to sign off on the clearance I need for this. First of all, let's resolve, let's be gracious, gracious and patient with customer service people. They're just trying to do their job. Let us who profess the name of Christ exhibit gracious humility, patience, kindness to those who don't get much of it in their job. Okay, side note on that. But anyway, you realize you say, I need to speak with a manager. I need to speak with somebody that can sign off on this, that can understand what I'm trying to deal with here. And you're trying to climb higher and higher and higher and higher up the ladder until you get somebody that knows what they're talking about. That's not what we have to do as followers of Christ. These verses graciously show us that God does not put us on hold. He does not leave resolution to our tears to low-level employees, to come dry them. God Himself does this. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Look at the multiple promises of God in these verses. He promises to deliver, to protect, to answer, to be with, to rescue, to honor, to satisfy, and to show salvation to those who hold fast to him. Maybe you continually live in the stress of bills that you just don't know how you're going to pay them. Unexpected expenses are so common that now they are expected, you just don't know where they're going to come from. Your Lord does not promise you riches, but He promises to deliver you. Maybe not from great financial loss or calamity, but from loss that would lead you to believe that you will be ruined and you will be all alone. Our Lord will deliver you. Your Lord, Jesus Himself, had nowhere to lay His head. And as you don't know how you're going to pay the bills next month, He offers you to lay your head upon Him and find rest. Do you live in the fear of the bottom falling out? Waiting on a phone call that could rip your heart out. You have a relationship, perhaps, that seems to be teetering on the brink, and you don't know how things will end up. Your Lord promises to protect you. He does not promise to protect you from, from heartache, but he promises you to protect promises to protect you from the disaster of feeling as if you are adrift at sea and the waves and the breakers are crashing over you. Your Lord, who himself was forsaken and abandoned by his closest friends, he promises to never forsake or abandon you. Do you have worries or needs that cripple your mind, that have seemingly gone unanswered in prayer for days, weeks, months, years, perhaps even decades? You've prayed, you've prayed, you've prayed over an issue that's tormented you for an interminable amount of time. God promises to answer. He might not be answering with clarity you seek, but maybe you say to Him, okay, Lord, I'm putting my desperate desire for an answer to the side. Because what I'm starting to see in Psalm 91 is you are showing me that I need to see before my measurement of your goodness, my assessment of your goodness is made on how you answer this. Help me to see that your goodness is revealed to me in the work of Christ, in his cross, his resurrection, his promised return, and the promise that I will be with him. And then let me measure everything else secondary to that. Lord, I need you to show me your sufficiency for me. Lord, help me to take hold of you as I wait. Help my heart to be engulfed in your love as I wait on your wise answers to these prayers. Do you live in the throes of loneliness? Feeling as if no one around you understands you. Perhaps you feel trapped in your own body that seems to disagree with you or with your understanding of yourself. Trapped in a stage of life that you can't quite navigate how to get out of. Your Lord promises to be with you in trouble. Look to the cross. See our Lord Jesus is not a politician who only checks in when we're having a ribbon-cutting celebration or wants to bring a check of government money to supply a community need. No, our Lord Jesus, he comes to us when our tears saturate our pillows, when sleep evades us. We can know that he is near. Is your body declining in illness or age? Or perhaps you see a loved one declining in health. Look to the empty tomb and know that for those who are in Christ, they will enjoy the fullness of resurrection Death will have its grip upon us in this life. But if you are in Christ, you will awaken in the warmth of the glory of the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. With a a resurrected body, you will one day laugh and delight in your Lord as you enjoy the new heavens and the new earth with wonders anew unfolding day after day for eternity. Do you endure scorn or mockery for the faith? Do you try to speak the gospel to those around you, but you feel so insecure in your words? You don't feel like a reasoned philosopher or a sage teacher. You feel like somebody trying to serve a word salad that you can't explain what you're saying. Do you feel the shame of knowing others think your faith is one that is so out of step with our day? The world may scorn your name, but know that the person sitting across the table, even if they mock you, our Lord, according to Psalm 91, He will honor you. There is a precious intimacy with your Lord that can only be known by sharing in His sufferings. Does life feel as if it is marching towards an inevitable dark prospect? You combine all of these factors and you recognize that it is a life of toil and grief. Sunlight comes and yet just as we saw this morning around 9 o'clock, somehow the sun is shining but rain is still falling. You can't get out of the way of the bad news even though the good news should be shining. Your Lord promises to sustain you and show you His salvation. Because He fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him with long life. I will satisfy him. And what? Show him my salvation. From morning to evening in that Soviet gulag, Anatoly Sharansky, read the Psalms. And he remarked, What does this give me? Gradually, my feeling of great loss and sorrow changes to one of bright hopes. You can trust God even when everything about your life seems to tell you you will be destroyed.